0: you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n-ads.com
1: i don't know if i should tell you my story of how i ended up spending a night in the cell because i got too close to the wall.
2: This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. Welcome to episode 20 of Cold War Conversations. Today we're talking to Anka Holst, who was born in the GDR during the 1970s in Rostock on the northern coast. Anka has returned to Rostock after many years abroad and now provides tours of GDR sites in the town. Our conversation highlights how different life was in the provinces of the GDR as opposed to Berlin. In a wide-ranging frank and honest discussion we talk about her family life with her mother, who's a stalwart party member, Anka's school class role as an agitator, her training in Marxist-Leninism, and her weapons training in the Ernst Teilmann pioneer organisation in Rorschach. However, before we start, I'd like to thank our latest iTunes five-star reviewer, Dave 82 for his very kind review. Please keep them coming, it really does help to raise the profile of the podcast. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our running costs, head over to coldwarconversations.com and click on the orange Patreon logo. There's loads of extras you can get access to by being a Patreon of the show. That's it for housekeeping, let's get on with the podcast. So, Anka, thank you very much for coming on uh, Cold War Conversations. Where where, and when were you uh, born? Can you tell us that?
1: I was born in a place called Kulungsbon, which is a little bit half an hour uh, to the west of Vostok, mm-hmm. uh, near nearest big town, uh, in 1917.
2: So you were a teenager when the... Uh, the wall opened
1: oh yes and i already lived in berlin and i i mean we left home pretty early back then i left home at 17 uh started studying in berlin had to come back for a while but started my first proper job uh two months before the wall came down in berlin right it was fun yeah
2: okay well we'll get on to that in a moment yes yeah. um so what what did your parents do?
1: Uh my parents were both teachers. Uh well uh actually my father when I was little he was still in the army. Uh and then my parents got divorced when I was about five. Uh so I grew up with my mom and my sister. Right. Um yeah, but both both teachers. Okay. Uh, profession,
2: professional. Okay. And, and that was quite a respected position in the GDR?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, although there was uh, not that much of a class society. I mean, it, it, it was more of a class society than they had aimed for. Uh, they they kind of aimed for complete equality, of course, uh, among all the different professions, but there still was, you know, the kind of doctors and, and, you know, the kind of more respect for them and teachers were obviously below that. Uh, but my mom was also you know, worked herself up to a vice principal of the school and then to a school inspector as well. Um, so I had a, had a very hard, yeah, problems <laughs> from people just not liking it. Um, right. Yes it was there wasn't not much love from my experience, there really was no love between people um, yeah there there was there was not a lot of feeling of community or anything like that. There was just everybody against everyone yeah so, it's very strange
2: so where Where did you live? What sort of accommodation did you live in?
1: We had a flat um so when I was born, we lived in a small house in uh, which is, um, a small fishing village by, by the Baltic Sea. Um, we were, uh, refugees from, uh, what is now Poland. My family had to escape from that. So oh, from, we, yeah, the war. And, yeah. uh, so don't mention the war. I know. I'm already <laughs> mentioning it. <laughs> we're allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Uh, yes, you know, uh, so, so, yeah, so that's why we kind of had to live wherever, uh, they put us, basically. So, so this is where my family on my mother's side ended up. And, uh, and in 71, my mom moved, uh, or my, my family, we moved into the, one of these newly built, uh, prefab, what I like to call yeah
2: uh,
1: blocks in, in Rostock in the northeast. So that was actually one of the first blocks that were built under the new uh, program for, you know, sort of very, very speedy and fast uh, construction of uh, 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 living, uh, uh, what do you call it, flats. L- living accommodation <laughs>
2: or, or flats. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and so... Yeah. So now, the, now when I'm looking back at it, this was actually quite, histor- you know, quite a historical moment. But back then, obviously, you know, first of all, I was little, but everybody else also just experienced it as, yeah, well, this is all right, I guess, but nothing is, nothing was ready. Like none of the infrastructure outside was ready. The, the uh, sidewalks weren't, uh, clustered yet and, and all of that. So. Yeah you know, the winters were hard when you couldn't walk anywhere with a pram and stuff. I kind of have memories of, of pictures of that because it was all just brand new yeah. out of the ground right. in an area where nobody lived before out of like some swampy area of, of Russia of Vostok. Of yeah. And um, yeah, but my mom also paid 60 marks per month. I, th- I think for, a, you know, big enough flat for all of us so yeah
2: nice. what, what were the neighbors like in your uh bow oh uh well
1: it was it had five stories um and two flats on each side and there was very uh, yeah all the neighbors are very normal thank you very much so it was very important to be very normal and to clean the stairs when it was your turn to clean the stairs yeah and, and to have, uh, like there, there was a cleaning schedule that everybody had to stick to and there was just no question of not sticking to it. <laughs>
2: right.
1: you know? And it was all very considering it was, considering that it was one of the most sort of revolutionary states at the time. It was, it was very, uh, normal and, and very, pedestrian and life was just going on for everybody I mean by the time I came around in the 70s anyone anyways it was conservative very conservative yeah uh when it came to when it came to yeah everything just everybody had to work and everybody had to have you know get married and have children and yeah it was all very very normal of course, yeah. divorce was normal as well. So that, from that point of view, it was not as conservative as, as some states today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, very, very normal.
2: And obviously with the childcare as well, you, from a very young age, you were presumably your, your mother was still working and you were in childcare. Yes, child care.
1: yeah. yeah. And uh, interestingly, now my my childcare facility, the building still stands, and I've just been there recently. And there's uh, uh, some sort of uh, social space for uh, new arrivals to Vostok There, so so I sometimes go there and offer my language skills to help. Wow! It's in the exact room where I went to kindergarten for three years. Gosh, so that great. must be that must be great. <laughs> just extremely weird i'm telling you uh, but yeah it's uh i mean i i actually went there i was really like watching my emotions not not exactly that building because i was too little really to have any any big memories of that but just also generally the part where i grew up and it's all mostly okay positive fine you know? yeah. so yeah it's you know, so I cycle past there, but sometimes I don't really have any know any people there or have any reasons to visit anything, but just yeah. just for the fun of it,
2: yeah, and how would you yeah. describe your your childhood I,
1: I mean I was the smaller one of two sisters uh my older sister we were very different. I was kind of like the, the philosophical type there was there were no computers around at the time, so I was reading. Yeah, and uh, otherwise I would have become a geek. Probably, um, I was the only kid in school who did all the languages that uh, we could. So I did French and English when it was time to
2: choose. Wow, was English unusual <laughs> as a language to study?
1: No, English, English. I mean, it was. Uh, so, so this is how it worked. We we had ten years of uh, like normal school. This was ten years, and uh, the first four were were like primary school and the and then it started with like proper school and at that like so grade five you started with russian everybody had russian that was obligatory and then from grade seven you could choose one language and i chose two because i'm crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> so i now by that time i then had russian french and english uh, right, and of course, by that time we also still had German, you know, the grammar and literacy lessons and and all of that. Um, yeah, and I was I was fine at school. I mean, it didn't trouble me. I just uh, was quite easy for me. I think more because I was in this class with people that weren't. <laughs> I don't know that uh, you know sort of on the intellectual side, uh, and. Nobody liked me <laughs> uh, for reason. I don't know.
2: Uh, so, was yeah. It, so, do you think people didn't like you because of your mother's job, or
1: well, it's probably a mix. That I mean, my mom immediately she was actually working at that school where I ended up going, and she immediately left for a different school because you know people would hate uh, me if, if she was also a teacher there. Yeah. Didn't really help much because my first class teacher for the first four years had the same last name as us. <laughs> right. so, so, so
2: they thought was no, you were
1: related. Yeah, we were not related, but it yeah. didn't really help. And um, I, I, well, there were like, I was also always member of the class organization. So we had, about 25 kids in the class. And then we had like a, a leadership team of the class. And it wasn't based on sort of, I think it was, I don't know. Was it the democracy? I don't remember what it was based on. I don't know if you, if we actually voted for anybody because so there was a leader and then there were different roles to fill. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, taking on the role of the, and this is an actual word that we use agitator. Uh, So literally the word agitator. Um, And I then had to stand in front of the class and give presentations on the bad things that the West had done now. And (laughs) that obviously didn't make me much more popular either. And I actually went to also like voluntary education on Marxism, Leninism and uh, all of that. I mean, you know, as a kid, just because my mom was quite... My mom was quite enthusiastic about the whole thing. And and didn't change her colours either when after the reunification because my mom was one of these people who don't just change their opinions because some state system changed. Yeah. Um so so there's a there's a word for that in, in German that people used to call her the Ote Socke. It's like, you know, somebody is, is a bit a bit on the on on the left side. And in any other society, that would be fine. I mean, most of the people I knew in London were a bit on the left, mm-hmm. you know, but with people where it's normal to immediately change your colors when, you know, the, whatever is considered good and normal in a country changes, then that kind of person gets, uh, yeah, a bit of yeah. a bad, bad rap. So I never, I, I I I mean I've already, obviously changed my opinions on things throughout life, but I never really uh, could think badly about about my mom. Uh, yeah. That. yeah, And so, was she
2: a member of the party?
1: Of course, as a teacher, right. you had to be. You couldn't you oh, couldn't okay. teach without without that. Right. Uh, so so that's why also like things. Things like my, my relatives from the West weren't able to come and see us at home. They had to come to uh, see my grandmother and then we had to go there to see them. Right. Uh, so, and, and, and TV, like we weren't obviously allowed to watch Western TV and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there, there was never really, we never really knew how other people would find out about it, but my mom was, was still and, and I still am not sure about this now. If she removed the button to change the channel on, on the TV or if it just fell off because it was an old thing from the 50s.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: so, but we did basically watched Western TV by sticking our hands through the back of the old uh, TV and changing the channel <laughs> That's in, wow. on, a, on a, on a, on a little wheel in the back. And I still remember that feeling when you hit something. Got a little bit of an electric shock there,
2: yeah Gosh.
1: yeah, fun, um but yeah, so we were it was actually quite strict, so there were times when we just absolutely weren't allowed t v and I had these uh series that I loved and really wanted to see them, but the living room was locked, and stuff it was it was very strict, actually,
2: yeah, up. yeah, <laughs> and you said that you studied marxist leninism, I mean what was that quite, I don't know. Boring, or
1: I think so. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's so I don't want to generalize for most people in uh former East Germany, but we were taught uh about you know the the system that our state w- was trying to build, it was still only called trying to build because yeah. we, we knew that we were only building this, so you know where it was about people and not about, you know, materialism and, you know, the, the, the people owned uh, the means of production and mm-hmm. uh, there was, you know, no private property. And that's why all of this, you know, the basic needs were taken care of for everybody. And, and you know, sort of, uh, but by the time that I came around, none of this, was valued by anybody anymore? So it were only really the people that could understand it intellectually, like mom, and had experienced this this kind of enthusiasm and and, and idealism of the first, you know, the sixties or the early seventies of, yeah. of you know the kind of golden years um, of of people actually actively working on it, wanting to wanting to improve the thing and those people had those memories and then but but everybody else kind of hated it already and and it was just it was just nobody cared and i remember just things not working and nobody caring uh basically so it was just the worst <laughs> way of of living for everybody it was really and but it wasn't i don't think it was actually because you know the system itself was that bad, it was just not able to 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 sort of sustain this kind of idealism uh mm-hmm. of the first decades, and of course, you know sort of it was all always these old men holding on to power for too long
2: <laughs> yeah <thank laughs> that people. was
1: that was kind of yeah,
2: yeah, and I guess people not seeing change as quickly as they'd want to see it, and
1: yeah. Yeah and I mean and then and then you know sort of so so living standards were actually by the 80s were quite good and you know these flats that they had, they had you know sort of all built like crazy fast they were actually working for everybody and because mm-hmm. everything was actually quite good and nobody really um yeah yeah so it wasn't basically so it was socially completely unacceptable to be like my mom was already before the reunification so so it was actually the very this very strange mixture of of it being the official um feeling to have but it also being by 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 most of society just absolutely divided but just 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 completely despised right This this kind of idealism for for that that kind of ideology so mm. i i was i was i was oblivious i was socially completely oblivious so i did until much later i i didn't pick up on that that, that would make me unpopular or i mean i didn't care i just did you know um
2: you just I mean, carried on i, I
1: st- Yeah, I, I, I kind of carried on. Again, I was, I was, I was, I I think I kind of inherited a job from my mom, this, this kind of idealism that, you know, who cares what other people think? This is what I believe is right. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I educated myself and, and, and yeah, I went to these classes and I had the chance and I just felt, you know, it was a good thing to do. Yeah. And then the funny thing is for most East Germans, then, you know, who, who, who kind of threw away that whole system for, for jeans and bananas, basically. Uh, because most of them, I mean, the, you have to realize the majority didn't have hugely political reasons for mm-hmm. trying to get rid of the, you know, East Germany. They just wanted to fashionable jeans and, and, and to eat bananas all the time. So it really wasn't anything more than that. Um, and, and they then had to, had to, waking up call when, when when things actually did turn out the way that it was always described by the people who uh, explained to us what capitalism is
2: like. yeah. yeah yeah
1: but it was yes but i mean just just to just to just to sort of repeat this kind of weird feeling that we were kind of doing what was right according to official dogma but still it was uh, already uh, just absolutely the wrong, the wrong way to be, according to you know what was socially acceptable, and that was just the strangest experience. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, and <laughs> what what was it like being in the Young Pioneers? What did you have to do there? Everybody was in there. We, we were mostly just doing fun things, like uh, it is like a scout. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so we went on maneuvers in the forest and learned. Uh, first aid and shooting. I was quite good at shooting. Uh, so you had, gun- you
2: had weapons. Guns.
1: guns. Yeah. Wow. yeah. But You know, air guns. I mean, you know, you shoot at the target. So you know,
2: nothing dangerous. So it wasn't. Oh, right, Okay. Okay. Well, it's still no, pretty no. dangerous. You can still do a bit of harm with an air gun.
1: Yeah, but, you know, we were well trained.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: no, but like, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was survival skills, first aid skills. We did some ex, ecstasy and, you know, this, this kind of when you parade around on the, yeah, yeah, on, on the school grounds and learn military, uh, orders and stuff. Right. Uh, there was a bit of that and, um, yeah and this this kind of class organization that was actually part of the not 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 of the school but of the pioneers, but because you know ninety nine percent of the people were in there yeah uh, it it didn't really matter to us what was part of school and what was part of being in the pioneers it was all we had our um i don't know if you've heard of that um was it every morning in school, uh, we, I just remember being in the, in the schoolyard and having this appeas, which is like everybody standing up and marching and, and, and standing in order and, uh, and the, the principal giving kind of speech and then a flag being raised. Right. And I don't know how, how, how often we did that, but no, not every morning. Weird. But then you know schools have their assemblies, and that's not weird. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah know, training was, them to fire air uh, weapons though is uh, perhaps not the uh, yeah the, yes. the usual. I, I, but uh,
1: yeah, but, but people people go to go to shooting clubs. So, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. It so was, you was more like good, tra- yeah, I was great. I was you I were was actually a good shot then. Yeah, I was. I I had never practiced, and that was the best of the my year or something, something
2: ridiculous like that. So you were the chief agitator and the best <laughs> shot.
1: Well, only the agitator for my class. Oh, so okay. that's Not that's not any kind of big. Yeah. Uh, position there but but this did my my shooting results actually got a bit of attention
2: yeah the um, the so presentations so. you did to your class uh, so you mentioned one about you know that about you know how terrible the west was and the dangers of of that are there are there any that sort oh,
1: of they, that's they all were that
2: that, because, that was the because, constant theme.
1: well yeah that was the, obviously because that's that was uh yeah that was the the big thing that we fought all the time. I mean yeah. we were under a constant trade embargo which means you know that we had to somehow build cars like the Trabant that was made out of paper and 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 low gray cotton <laughs> from the, yeah. from the Soviet Union and you know um and there was I mean it was the cold war you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh and, and we were made to feel that all the time. And, um, it was, you know, this, have you seen this, um, schematic of where the Western TV stations were broadcast into East Germany? I know, I know that, that you
2: couldn't pick up the signal in Dresden.
1: Yeah, but that was only a small valley. So everywhere yeah. else, it was, they were strategically placed so you could pick them up in the most of the rest of the area of East yeah. Germany right and 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 uh and it was a constant assault and it was basically you know because we couldn't travel we couldn't see the reality so it was constantly making us uh sort of think that we knew the reality but but it was it was it was a a a kind of beautified reality that was actually created for us it wasn't for there you know it it was very very clearly created uh uh to to make us think that what we had wasn't good enough. Yeah,
2: yeah. So what what did you do during your spare time when you weren't at school? Books. I was.
1: Uh, so we were all. It was it was a bit Russian in the sense that we had we all had to do sports, mm-hmm. and was there was this very um, active attempt always to find the most uh, talented kids in everything so that you know because sports obviously was a very important way of presenting ourselves on the world stage and um so i was doing speed skating uh and uh what else was i doing i think that was the only sport i was made to do because i was very good and uh and the other thing i was made to do is learn guitar and i hated both (laughs) Uh, And then at, I think we were 13 or 14 or something like that. And then we started uh dance classes that was organized by school. We But we danced with people from different schools. So mm-hmm. it was all chosen by height. And because I was quite tall, um, I got a dance partner that you know even taller than me. And that too was great. I loved that. Right. And yeah, ballroom, like, you know, again, this kind of weird, East Germany, but also really conservative. They yeah. ballroom, ballroom dancing. This was yeah. The standard thing. Everybody, every, every class in, in the entire town would do these, uh, mm. ballroom classes. And, uh, we had a ball in the end and, uh, danced beautifully. And it was that I really, really love. Um, mm just said I'd never really continued with that. But it was, again, it was one of those things you either did judo or I mean judo or you did the handball or you did the speed skating, but you know, the, the idea to continue with, with uh, ballroom or anything like that, that just yeah, give you. yeah.
2: Did so, you, did you have any, f- I mean, you, you said that you were unpopular, but did you have any friends at school?
1: Yeah, but not really any that were actually good for me. I don't know. I was, uh, I, I was actually bullied quite a lot.
2: Right.
1: Um, so I didn't have a lot of choice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there were some other girls that I was, there was one, another girl also with the same first name like me that I was hanging out with. Right. Uh, but not really like, anybody that i could actually share any any thoughts with so so not anybody was actually on my kind of had the same kind of vibe or anything like that i never met anybody like me you know
2: even though
1: sort of now i know there's loads of us yeah but uh when i was young no no, no.
2: yeah well also Uh, sorry go on
1: no 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 go on
2: i was going to say i guess you you because of the the way the society worked, and nobody wants to stand out or appear yeah. different. It's very yeah, difficult very to,
1: yeah.
2: um, you know, be different. And particularly with your mother and her standing, that you yeah. were presumably expected to live to a certain standard by her and to, you know, not.
1: <sighs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it's very strange because I never. Like, I only had all the bad bits from it. I never, uh, um, gained anything <laughs> from her standing. And later yeah. on, like, like in the, I don't know, a year or so, she she said, yeah, somebody's actually said, but she's so good. Shouldn't she be going to university and I can help you and everything? And then she was like, no, she didn't want to make use of her, uh, yeah, standing or position. Yeah. And, and so I started the thing that was absolutely wrong for me and and went into vocational planning to become a typesetter and actually um, was just the worst (laughs) at it Uh, but yeah that's that's and then yeah in the end I never went to university which is very strange right Uh, now to think about
2: okay what was uh, because Rostock's obviously quite a way away from berlin and you know you hear that in berlin you could get almost anything all the you know being able to obtain things was easier in berlin yeah. was it difficult to get hold of stuff in rostock
1: oh yeah yeah no definitely you could only buy really the very basics and and there were long queues uh and uh and the shops and um i think it was just a system of everybody doing favors and, it was called vitamin B uh, for Beziehung and like relationships. So you had to, you had to know people
2: and not right. do any,
1: anything like, you know, anything like build a house or something was, was pretty much impossible because you could never get everything you needed. And, yeah. you know, you, it, it only worked through if somebody could see that you would be useful for them, then they would do something for you. And, um, yeah. And people had all their different little allotments for so they group fruits and, um preserved everything for the winter and stuff so yeah it did i mean it wasn't terrible but it, i don't think it was great either i mean and and the weirdest thing is that when i grew up we still were drinking like you would be better at you know doing the sensible stuff and you know, like drinking more, nobody drank water when I grew up. I mean, it was this, do you, do you remember this time when nobody drank water? Do you, yeah. Now my kid grew up drinking water and, and, uh, you know, just these, these small things that we were just like, I don't even think I, I, there were these little habits that I now look back at and, and think how weird it was that we did that in East Germany. Um, but but yeah, I mean and yeah, Berlin for me when I moved to Berlin at seventeen, it's just a big world. I mean, it was just amazing. The people just seemed so much more like mentally independent, you mm-hmm. know, just, just free to be themselves. Um, but then, you know, even the people that I met there, even the people from Rostock, like I have uh, I, have, I had this friend that we stayed in the same room with in, in the hostel, and she was even sort of wearing men's trousers. And I just thought, oh my God, that <laughs> is just so outrageously cool. Yeah. Because, you know, in my part, it was just every bit of difference would have just been, yeah, it would have yeah. killed you. Well,
2: it's like you're saying, uh, it was so conservative in. Yeah rostock whereas yeah I mean, well
1: but she was only from the next part of town of rostock yeah. so, you know there was really my one was really just the worst for this i, I just grew up in the absolute worst bit of rostock that you can ever ever imagine <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um yeah and so, and berlin was yeah, just yeah berlin was just fantastic and and the funny thing is i remember after three weeks i came came back home on the train. Uh, three hours on the train for the weekend and and I already spoke with the Berlin dialect, and everybody was just laughing at me for <laughs> just picking that up so quickly because I just loved everything about berlin and it was still only East Berlin, and for me, it was just so big and so cool,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely amazing. People were organizing their own stuff. we went to you know sort of readings, we went to uh, a u two listening party because obviously there were no very little concerts at the time yeah uh and i became part of a folk dance troupe that had a had a live band and was kind of doing square dance events to show people how to dance to their music and stuff and do you know just just so many things everybody was an artist you know and
2: For me, so there was, was just... almost this um i don't know much more of a creative yeah Seen. Yes, um,
1: absolutely. Um, and and
2: and none of this was sort of like state organised, was it, or or was no,
1: it? No, no, oh no, no. This was all spontaneous.
2: No. Yeah, no, you got. I was going to say, did you mention a U2 listening party?
1: Yes, a U2 listening party, and I think, I think it was '88 and and with really good speakers. And we were all just sitting there on chairs and I remember just totally being blown away by you
2: know sort of that music
1: wow <laughs> i mean it was i was only 18 i no, taste, no 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 <laughs> I, i'm just
2: fascinated i mean you know i, I think you know you two have done <laughs> done some 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 great albums but i get you know i think that this is the important thing to just un- understand is that you know you couldn't just go to a record store and get a record or anything like that you know yeah you, the, the only way that you could here some of this music was to get together with other people or buy some dodgy cassette from somebody or...
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, when I was still here in Rostock, funny thing, oh my God, we weren't suffering so much from the lack of, you know, some LPs to buy or, or singles to buy or anything because we had Western radio and we could tape our music. And we yeah. also had... Actually, there was something on our own youth radio station where they were playing. uh, I think two different albums, whole albums, at some point during the day, so you could arrange to be at home like from three to four or something. Yeah, and every day it would be something else, and they were all amazing. Like I, like did I ever get? I think I definitely had a Nick Kershaw album then. And I love Nick Kershaw. Oh my god,
2: <laughs> <laughs> he had great Seriously. hair. I remember. Oh he had great no, but, hair.
1: The, but he he was really. I think he was actually. He still is really talented. It's just he really good musician. Anyways, uh, but yeah, so just like popular, idol, just playing over the radio, so you could be there and set to record, and you had your 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 cassette with with you know all these cool albums yeah so i don't know i don't know about the legality of that but they just did that well we Um, did similar
2: i mean i remember doing that in uh, at home in london you know they'd have the top 40 on and you'd have your uh, finger over the record button exactly right that was that
1: was the 80s Right. yeah yeah exactly yeah that's how i discovered level 42 and you know all of those
2: things oh you're bringing it all back to me now because yeah right
1: right Yeah, yeah all this 80s
2: music (laughs) There was well, some
1: good stuff around in the 80s. It wasn't yeah. All bad. Of yeah. course, here people are like, you know, modern talking. And <clears throat> yeah. Less said about that, the better. But yeah. they still love modern talking here, by the way. There's been a, there's been a concert recently. Really? It's just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nothing ever moves here. Oh, um, <laughs> um, yeah, but the, 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 worst thing, worse than, than the lack of, of LPs was the lack of like Bravo. And oh, you don't know Bravo. Bravo is like the forerunner of the teenage magazine with all the pictures and posters of the yeah. stars. Yeah. Right. That we couldn't get. And, and, and there were like some, clever entrepreneurs in my class that just took photographs and sold them of you know these photographs and posters and stuff and oh my god i spent so much money on those things
2: i bet those <laughs> i bet those people went far when the war came down
1: eh uh, I, probably not <laughs> <laughs> no they were, they were they were they were slightly better entrepreneurs coming from the west so yeah yeah, yeah. i don't I, I don't know i actually have very little contact with yeah. people from my school. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so, so Bravo was a magazine produced in East Germany, was it?
1: No, that was Western. Oh, it's a,
2: produced in the very, West, very very
1: much Western. But yes.
2: people sort of smuggled in copies.
1: And I've, I very, I don't know if I ever saw a proper copy. It's right. really all these different yeah. photographs of photographs of bad photographs.
2: <laughs> yeah and what what did your relatives in the west bring you presents as well when they came
1: uh home? we got we got things sometimes rarely not as often as uh other kids in my class um and definitely not anything that you could show other people because we were not supposed to have these contacts yeah uh so that was very important uh but i remember having a cool jacket once in yeah Um like you know that that kind of oh my god i remember that jacket it was giving no warmth at all and i run it run around all of new year's eve with it because it just looked cool and there was <laughs> just no 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 warms well, that's all. what you do when you're yeah, a teenager exactly no. so i was i was kind of trying to be cool i yeah. think by the time i was 15 i was definitely trying to fit in and be cool so. yeah
2: and so were you told not to say anything to anybody else outside the family circle about the, the relatives in the West?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well with us, it was more like, um, being told not to do things than rather be, rather than being told not to say things. Yeah. Um, but, I, I don't know. There was also a relaxation of that. I think by the time it was six, yeah, of uh, 87, I remember my uncle did visit us and we drove around in his Volkswagen. And oh. I felt so weird because people could see me. And, uh, yeah, so that did happen. The, the not saying stuff outside again, because at home we were actually quite uh, idealistic yeah. and, and, and not very critical. Um of the whole thing, so yeah, that wasn't really so much the thing for me
2: yeah yeah, and w- with with getting hold of clothing and stuff like that, was that again in in short supply, or
1: oh God, I could tell you stories of clothing <laughs> so this is the so Ian, this is the no. thing right so jeans yeah. jeans big, big story, and actually the funny thing is where I live now. It's only a few hundred meters away from the big ultra modern clothes factory that they built in the early eighties in order to deal with this, right? It yeah. was actually for the time. It was, it was just the most modern thing you could imagine. Um, and they actually got in designers and, and, and did youth focus group research and nothing helped. Like, because trends that moved, moved so quickly, you know, um, yeah. that, that there would, there was really, you know, there was really nothing you could do. So they made things. And the funny thing is because I went to school here, we also had work experience in that factory. So right. I knew it from the inside. Uh, we were, you know, sort of doing things like actually, in, in in one work experience class, we we actually were sewing little hats and caps and things. Uh, but in another class, we actually went into the factory and cut blue threads and uh, ironed some clothes and things like that. So mm-hmm. so we did actually properly take part in the whole production cycle, and um, it 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 was massive. It was huge, and they just couldn't make it work. And then the leadership ended up buying like. The Two million pairs of jeans, uh, uh, from the West in order to just shut up the youth. Right. And um, that didn't help either. So it was really this, you know, so I'm not just saying that people threw away everything over jeans. I mean, that really was one of the biggest things that people were unhappy about. Yeah. That they couldn't wear stonewashed double denim. When stonewashed double denim was already out for two years, out yeah. of fashion at the time, right? Yeah. If they had traveled anywhere, they wouldn't have seen stonewashed double denim. <laughs> but we definitely wanted stonewashed double denim. And I almost, I almost had an excuse of them because it's <laughs> just so ridiculous to think about it right now. Yeah. The way that people run. And the funny thing is you, you walk around here now, people still wear double denim and i've never seen so many people also like women and it's like everybody just wears jeans all the time yeah and you know so i am all, now also only wearing jeans because you have to adjust to the local garb
2: right yeah yeah you don't want to stand <laughs> out
1: <laughs> no yeah. exactly i remember when i came into my my uh, uh some doctor I a, see i am now i am now wearing the local garb <laughs> 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 um yeah but that was the situation and and um people i guess, I guess people are just dumb you tell them like look it doesn't really matter that much they yeah. just look at you no no but no but we want to have more than clue
2: yeah <laughs> yeah no. uh, i try and tell my know. kids that <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yeah it, of course it you know, sort of, you want to wear something that, I mean, you want to be dressed, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to, if it was really that bad, that, 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 you know, sort of, it was a terrible nylon, um, uh, or, or, or the fabric that they invented, actually, Dederon, uh, was, if well, it is was that really, an East,
2: is that a special yes, East? it was, it what was, was a special. What was it called?
1: It was called Dederon, which is the right. kind of nylon where it's, it's plastic, um, because obviously natural fabrics were uh, difficult and expensive to get. Yeah. Um So so, but you know we had brains, so we could invent things. Um, but Dideron, yeah. So it's D D R Dideron is actually the, the name of the country. Brilliant. The fact <laughs> it is rather, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um So so yeah, if it was all just little you know, flowery Dideron dresses that they wanted you to wear, sure, I would be you know, the first one to wear. <laughs> but we did have clothes and I did come up with things that we might like and just everybody just thought it was terribly unpopular and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't working and then was revolt against it <laughs> yeah
2: and anyway. okay. weird <laughs> yeah well people are different aren't they i think that's the, yeah. that's the thing <laughs> so you you didn't go to university did you want to go to university or you decided you wanted oh, to do no. something vocational
1: yeah well um i mean obviously school wasn't great for me yeah um so i looked at the kids on the in the schoolyard of the i would have had to go to school for another two years obviously to do my abitur which is called here they're like Mm -hmm. a levels or something yeah and now they go to university later and i was just like nope but if anybody had actually taken time to explain to me you know so i probably would have listened but i don't know nobody ever talked to each other that was another thing. I, uh, nobody ever sat down with me and, and talked me through anything. I, I don't remember that happening until I actually went to Berlin. Again, yeah. that was the thing that people actually talked to each other and that was so new to me. And I remember it was actually quite an emotional experience when I had that for the first mm-hmm. time. People actually listening to me and taking me serious. and You know, Um yeah, it was just... I decided to do the vocational training. Because yeah, I was tired of school, and I thought yeah. it would always always be like the school I had experience. But of course, at the you know by the time you grow older, it gets better.
2: Yeah, it? yeah. So, and yeah. so you you go to Berlin, and your job is a typesetter.
1: Yes. Yeah. We did. Um, that was a two year vocational training. My specialization was actually proofreading, but because everybody was of shoehorned into the same programs and the same uh but in the first year we actually spent uh, most days actually spent standing eight hours uh by a old type setting case and actually putting letters together yeah uh out of metal yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: because you have to learn it, even though it's not technically anymore in use, but you have to have <laughs> this basic, uh, education so that you can understand what typography is all about. And that was absolutely crazy. <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah. that
1: is just such a hard, hard, hard job. Um, for, ki- for a kid that's 17, 18, I mean, I was, I was really struggling. and yeah. Uh, not cool. And then the second year I had to come back to Rostock and, Work in a little cubbyhole with five grown up women that all find their their husbands and cars and houses the most interesting thing. And I was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I just wanted to go back to Berlin. I yeah. just said, Rostock was the last little provincial hole, and none of these people have any idea what's really going on in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like you know everybody was 18, it's like that, I think. And then, yeah, and then in uh, then it was 89, and by 89, I had a flat and a job in Berlin, and
2: yeah, right. So, in when when you were in 89, you had another job as a typesetter, or was that a different job you were working?
1: That was no, that was at the end of my well, when I when I had finished my education, I got a job at. Berliner Zeitung, which is now I think it's still around. Yeah, uh, one of the newspapers. And I actually, the first thing that I had to do because they didn't train us for any of the new uh, technologies, I had I just had to go into more training. Yeah. So we were still we were in the first two months. We were still in training. And at the time, it was basically the, the technology for newspapers was um, journalists would by the by that time they would already. Um, hand in uh, their content in uh, typed up, but it had to be retyped so it would work with the uh, typesetting technology that they right. had back then so right. so that would have been my job but I had to learn how to do that first
2: yeah and were you conscious of any change going on? oh absolutely oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah that had already
1: started when I when I had come to berlin and people started to go to the uh, it was called the umweltbibliothek so like the um uh, the environmental library but it was everybody knew there was this underground uh thing of uh you know where 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 people would assemble and and plan protests and stuff like that and I think that was the first time I I, I kind of consciously went, Okay, yeah, this thing is really
2: going to end soon, isn't it? Right. And when was that? That was in eighty nine, wasn't
1: it? It was eighty seven. Eighty
2: seven. Oh okay.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, Berlin was already but it was still um Berlin was already like a hundred percent secure. Actually, well it's it's kind of hard to understand how a hundred percent Controlled and secure it was, right up to the night when the wall came down. And I don't know if I should tell you my story of how I ended up spending a night in the cell because I got too close to the wall.
2: I think you should absolutely uh, would, <laughs> share that with. <laughs> would that be any of any interest to your listeners? I think so.
1: Yeah. So, um, so again, you. You. I don't know. Do you actually do uh, blog posts? to your podcast episode
2: yeah well we we we, there's a facebook discussion group um ah. where there's a load of people on there and we discuss various topics on there um and i also put show notes for each episode on the website with various links in so
1: yeah so it will be interesting to see the schematic of the wall because if anybody actually thinks the wall was just one wall Um, They would be very wrong because it was actually like a complex of different.
0: Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favourite podcast and I look forward to it every week.
2: To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwallconversations.com dot com slash donate to find out more
1: uh, measures are yeah. uh, keeping you know some sort of people out so the very first measure of that was uh on the on the east side was just a series of signs about a four in size uh about on on a little pole it's about about one meter height from the ground. Um, but about every twenty meters or so that okay, now you're getting too close to, to the wall, please do not walk on, but no fence or anything like that yeah. just and beyond that would usually be grass or a little path or something, so it wasn't immediately visible and um so this was me in Berlin. I was usually um, not usually, but I was very often just walking around on my own because that city he was just uh. I I just found it interesting. And also I was a lot concerned because I was this philosophical type. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I was walking around. It was a summer's day in 88. um, And I didn't have anything on me and I didn't have a jacket. So I didn't have pockets. So I wasn't wearing handbags yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I didn't have ID on me. And usually I think East Germany, you always have to have ID on you. And especially when you're walking around in Berlin. Yeah. So... But it wasn't that sort of, it wasn't, it wasn't absolutely like you have to, it wasn't like some kind of military dictatorship, obviously not It's it's Germany. Everybody was nice and normal. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, so I was walking and I overlooked one of those signs. And so I was walking just down a, a, a grassy path, uh, and there were two burly guys coming up to the left and right of me and, uh, grabbed me by the arms and asked for my ID.
2: Right, so these were plain clothes Stasi, I presume plain
1: clothes, yeah exactly, yeah. and uh, it must it doesn't have to be Stasi, actually it could just have been uh, border officers okay um uh, 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 border guards, and so I didn't have ID on me, so I got taken to their h q and uh, to their station and put in a cell. And that's how I spent a night in the cell. I spent, um, uh, and, and the thing is, I don't remember being panicked. I was just, I think, I think the feeling was just of, you know, sort of having not enough agency to, to panic. If you see what I mean, right. Panicking would have already gotten you into more trouble than you already were. So you just kept calm. Um, and and i just asked for a little piece of paper so i was just writing lots of i don't remember writing i think i read i wrote to some boyfriend i had at the time or something but uh i had to leave that piece of paper behind yeah when so the next morning somebody from my student accommodation came and confirmed my identity and then i got to go home with them and it was all a big scandal in my student hostel and wow that is the last thing I remember of it It yes. <laughs> was very yeah. very strange for an I mean, experience like that yeah yeah
2: i'm i'm in, in surprised that you were you know relatively calm about it i mean did you did they say that you were going to get released the next day, or did you not know them? no,
1: they didn't say much at all i I mean the thing is I don't know where I was emotionally anyways um but there there there's uh, there's not much I felt anything about at the time, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I think I was very much. I mean, if I grew up now, I would be very much considered on the some some sort of autistic spectrum. Um, so, I mean, that served me well in a situation like that because I yeah. just, uh, yeah, sure, I would just sit in my cell, write something to myself. Uh, not a problem. Sure. Um yeah, I don't I don't remember a lot of feelings yeah. about that well, much things.
2: I take my hat <laughs> off to your coolness in uh such a situation.
1: <laughs> oh gosh, I wish I could have considered myself cool back then. Oh, that wow, would have been I so God. nice. I think
2: that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> good. Um presumably your mum got to hear about this, did she? I don't remember
1: that. I have no idea if anybody actually. I have. No, I don't think we had talked about that. Um, I can
2: imagine why you didn't talk about it. To be honest, but
1: well, I. I don't. I didn't feel guilty about it. Yeah. It, I don't. I didn't feel that it was my mistake. Um, it was just a thing that happened. Um, not hugely scary, not hugely panicky. Yeah. Uh, just ah, okay. This happened. Yeah.
2: So, where, where were you when the wall came down? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, so I lived in Berlin and I actually lived quite close to the wall in Friedrichshain, which is oh, okay. now, yeah, which is now one. It's also, but now when I look it up and it's like Friedrichshain, Friedrichshain Kreuzberg. Or, or Kreuzberg, Friedrichshain. Yeah. And that those two, those two quarters are now one is just for me still the weirdest thing because they used to be on the different sides of the wall. Yeah. So, uh, it was very close. And, um, yeah, strangely, uh, I, I broke my foot on the way to work, uh, a week before the 9th of November. So by the time, um, uh, the 9th of November came around, I was lying at home with my foot up in a cast. It at my mom's in Rostock. <laughs> right. But we were all watching that um the TV broadcast, obviously the, the press conference with the Schabowski and the yeah. thing he said. And the weird thing is I don't remember hearing it. I don't remember I don't remember going crazy about anything in that press conference at all. But clearly everybody in Berlin went well we should probably check that out. Did you hear that? Um. Yeah, I I don't hmm. remember any any kind of from from that press conference. Any any yeah. kind of in, you yeah. know instant reaction. The the reaction came the next yeah. morning when we realized what that happened overnight in Berlin.
2: And what was your mum's reaction to that?
1: Oh gosh, I don't remember. I guess I must have been pretty selfish because I just I just want to get better. I wanted to yeah. get better and, and and go back. And to then Berlin. go
2: visit. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah, and then and I walk around West Berlin. Yeah.
2: And um, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, obviously everything that yeah, you, know, you know, the way you've described of her is that everything that she'd worked for and and believed yeah. in um, was potentially just. Well, it it did disappear. I guess at that point, it wasn't necessarily known what was going to happen, and East or the German Democratic Republic might still exist in some shape or form at that point.
1: Well, that is theoretically what what you what you know a un, a reunification would uh, would involve, isn't it? that that there would be two parties who would come together? But obviously, it didn't end up being like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, but so, that wasn't necessarily a, an obvious you know what, you know the, certainly in the early weeks after the opening of the wall it wasn't obvious that germany would be re- reunified it yeah. might mean well, a, you know it might mean a greater degree of democratisation in in east germany
1: yeah that's certainly what we had demonstrated for and what people right after the fall of the wall were still uh, speaking up for were still yeah. i mean they were they were you know sort of Really good people standing up and, and, and giving really good talks, but it did any of that matter later on,
2: but. Well, I think you as you say, it sort of got overtaken by the bananas and the jeans.
1: Yeah. Sort of. I think people like my mom probably saw that most of the people who, who immediately did travel out and did the, the you know, even before the war came down, did the thing over Czech Republic. I mean, Czechoslovakia back then mm-hmm. and, and, and Hungary. Weren't the people that you would have respected for their views, because um you know they, they 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 were genuine political grievances, obviously with the system in East Germany. Yeah, but the people that did have them were about you know sort of one percent of the population that 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 did the whole oh I want to travel out and and stuff. Most of the people were just attracted to the. Better fashion and, uh, you know, the the the, the, the better chocolates yeah. and and nicer things. Yeah, to drive and to wear and stuff.
2: Yeah, and um, when when your foot got better, um, mm-hmm. what were your first impressions of the West?
1: Oh, colorful, uh, and again, like uh, all the people seem to be much stronger, much better at being themselves. I mean, we were raised in the belief that this was the golden, you know, this, this was the golden West. It was, this was the promised land and this, yeah. everything was great there. So, of course, that kind of worked on you. <laughs> um, uh, until you realized that actually West Berlin is not that much, you know, not that, uh, you know. Eastville is actually much nicer.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: it certainly has, 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 you know, more, it has the, you know, all the, all the museum, the museum island and, and, and the uh, Nikolai, you know, quarter. I don't know if you know that the the thing was the Nikolai quarter. Yeah. The
2: bit they rebuilt that in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was, that's, I that was still, I just still love that place. And yeah. You know, that was done with so much love and, and also idealism for, you know, so doing something really well and stuff. Yeah. So, so that those things did happen, and at least it's just all sort of focused on East Berlin. So, you know, sort of.
2: Where where did you cross? You crossed into the West the first time into West Berlin, did you?
1: Oh uh, yeah, and I don't remember. Born is, is Born or Born, I, I think it might have been that one just, yeah. just for, and then of course we also rented a, a hammer and a, a chisel, obviously to hammer <laughs> out a bit of the, of course we'd have to do all of that. And then, yeah. Uh, and then there was already all the, all the people standing on the side of the road and selling stones from the wall and selling yeah. the sort of East German military caps and, and all of that. I mean, that happened like instantly. Oh yeah. Um, whoever had money was you know so it was it was basically gone very quickly yeah Uh, and then we all got our 100 marks of uh, 100 Deutsch marks rather West marks yeah what did you spend that on oh my god Ian do you want to hear the sad sad story of what I did after the war came down
2: yes we do (laughs) oh my
1: god (laughs) so 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 here's the thing right relative in East Germany uh was very much uh, just 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 the only official religion that you were officially able to go to places meet people that followed it and and read and read scriptures about was the uh, Protestant Lutheran church yeah um and then there were some catholic churches but they were almost unofficially almost didn't exist uh and i kind of was interested in religion Um, from an early age and you know it's one of these things when you don't ever get to experience it really in reality Mm -hmm. you you kind of idolize it right yeah so I I did the terrible terrible thing and uh, became a Hare Krishna right after the wall came down
2: (laughs) that's brilliant nothing wrong with that it's not
1: brilliant it's terrible (laughs) it's well no I stuck around for a long time yeah uh, it, it actually took out a big chunk of my life. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, it also took me away from the, the whole sort of complete nightmare and headache of, of the reunification and, and watching, you know, this, this trauma happening. Yeah. Um, so, so it was kind of, I, I don't know how, I, I don't know. I really don't know how conscious it was, but I really just exited society for a good few years. Right. Um, after reunification and, and just did that thing, became a nun and ended up going to Heidelberg and to Cologne and opening a temple in Cologne. Yeah. And then going to Sweden and working in their publishing house. And yeah, that basically, I, I laid the foundation was that on, for that the first time I went over to West Berlin, I met Hare Krishna on the street with books and and he was selling books for very, very cheap and because all the East Germans had never seen such beautiful, colourful, crazy books, yeah. they all bought them because they had no idea what that was. Yeah. And I so I looked at the guy, I was like, Okay, you have a Bhagavad Gita? Yes, give it here. Where's your temple? Okay, yes, here's your flyer. Yeah. <laughs> so two days later I was there and then I was basically I was devastated. I was just there.
2: Wow. Um That's really interesting because I mean it, it do you I mean do you do you think you were went towards Hare krishna because of your experiences in east germany and you were looking for almost like a a refuge or a safe haven or or what, what uh, well what, no what i was been? really i was really
1: on the on this sort of philosophical side right i, I yeah. loved philosophy growing Yeah. Up. and then and then in berlin i started to find books Obviously, none of this was official, so you couldn't just go into a shop and buy books about Eastern philosophy. So, yeah. uh, so I slowly sort of found things that, 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 that I read a little bit more about Eastern sort of mysticism. And then obviously, once they got their claws into me, they didn't let me go anymore. Yeah. Because, you know, sort of I was, I was, I was selfless. I was helping out and I was giving them all my money and basically, um, I spent my first hundred <laughs> Deutschmarks marks on a sari, um, right. which again I was I was I was such a dupe. I was just duped by them. So basically, yeah. they 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 one of them sold me their their old sari for a hundred marks. Uh, another sold me a whole set of books for about whatever else I had. Yeah, and I spent a lot of money on those, you know. And then obviously, once you have a pile of books, you don't really take them with you. Yeah. you leave them somewhere Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then the, the president of the temple in Violin asked me if he could put their money their, their east marks on my account on uh, before the day it would all be uh, converted one yeah. to one to, yeah. to, to to proper money but of <laughs> course I said yeah sure I don't care uh, so like they, they were all just using me
2: so you were presumably you weren't in contact with your mother during this.
1: I was no, period. we were always in contact. Oh, Okay, so uh, how
2: was, how did she sort of deal with her country disappearing? Do you, oh, do you know it was, that
1: it was well? She was a teacher. She had to she she retrained actually, and then she went and studied philosophy. Funnily enough, as well, in order to be able to do other things than teach German um and um so for a while longer she she actually tried to be a teacher even though you know once you're in your 50s it, it, it gets to be really hard work yeah uh and then she had an accident um you know where where some i don't know she fell on her bicycle because somebody else was careless and never got the proper because obviously back then everything insurance wise and uh lawyer wise and everybody was really just trying to figure out how things work. so there was some the mismanagement of her case and and stuff so so she's had some proper trauma from this stuff yeah it's 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 been it's been really hard and now she was uh, be, yeah um it was it was hard for her
2: no, it can... was
1: hard. It was hard for lots of people. And the strange thing, if you hear still now, like 28 years later, you hear people talking about it a lot, like an overhear conversation. Um, it, it still is very, very present in people's minds, but it's never in the form of, you know, what you might imagine that, that, that somebody writes about your door. Um, that the newspapers would have. See, everybody to the outside just pretends everything is fine. Yeah. And, and just sort of grumbles in the pub to their mates. And I think that's quite weird, you know, for, for somebody like me who's, yeah, I don't know. I was lucky enough to live in London for a while and to experience people who express themselves differently and, you know, yeah, to do it, who do it, you know, sort of more confidently and, and, uh, with more uh, belief that it's worth hearing as well, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's privilege or whatever that is, but that's something up that here is kind of missing so, <laughs> it's, yeah uh, it's it's very strange.
2: so so your mother is still does she still believe that the project would have worked? Or has she changed her views now, do you think? It's
1: impossible. It's impossible to talk to her about it now.
2: Okay.
1: There's so much trauma that you can't even. Yeah. You can't even have a conversation about it.
2: No, I can, I can understand that completely.
1: It's just sometimes, you know, this, this word like, like the rote socke, when, when she started mentioning that people call her that, I was like, what? Um, because, you know, at the time, I still thought that, you would get anybody would appreciate somebody who had kept their conviction even though you know sort of everything has changed but of course i realize that you know, sort of, most people aren't like that so uh, no. they're still like you know this i just i just see bits of it and i just sort of build my opinions from, from bits that I hear in conversations that kind of at the time might may not make sense to me and then make sense to me later. So, yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> An- Anka, what what was your favourite GDR TV programme?
1: Oh, boy. Well, obviously, you know, this, the Sandman. Yeah, yeah. You must have heard that. From yeah, yeah, no, before. I have. The
2: Sandman. Yes. Yeah.
1: Lovely, just lovely with the stop motion animations that yeah. were really well done and
2: it's probably and ahead so of it. So well time. designed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so well designed and, and just so well made. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that would be probably. Yeah. yeah. And no. then, I mean, DEFA did very good films. Also, like for, for like youth films. Uh, we had some, Like Ulrich Mühe, who, um, who was in this film that you probably know, The Lives of Others. Yes. He was, he was in some very good sort of youth films when, yeah, like young adult films when, when I was a a teenager. So that's how I, that's where I knew him from. Right. Uh, yeah, very, very good actor, actually. That was, that was very, you know, sort of touched me in ways that, you know, apart from the all the other ways that the lives of others tells you that you know, sort of that was the added emotional thing for me as well. And
2: yeah, yeah, I hadn't realised yeah. that he'd been a a film. You know, um, yeah. Start well, not start well, maybe star in. Uh, oh yeah, he was a GDM. big star, right? Oh, okay. he
1: was a big, big film star. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and what was your favourite food as a child?
1: Oh. Hmm. Uh. My grandmother was an excellent cook, and she she did lots of wonderful things. And she did a milk rice that was really nice.
2: A a what was that?
1: Milk rice. Oh yeah. Rice with milk. With
2: uh, yeah, we call that rice pudding. I think in the oh
1: rice pudding. Yeah. Well, yeah, but we kind of ate it for a main meal, so it's not wasn't a dessert. But oh okay, yeah, very strange. Uh, i think it's kind of the sim a similar thing but it was really like a, a meal
2: yeah yeah okay before we go tell us about your rostock tours
1: i just feel there is a lot of interest in what's left of east germany and i think it's i i mean i see it growing from my perspective uh, like the longer it's been gone the the, the more interest there is and Obviously, culture has disappeared, but, you know, the buildings and, you know, the architecture and the public mm-hmm. art, that that stuff will stick around for a while longer. And while it's still here, and while I'm in the provincial GDR, a former GDR, mm-hmm. um, and actually living in one of those buildings, you know, I I just think there's enough interest for me to offer actual tours with... A bit of you know prefab housing with Ulrich Mütter buildings that are you know these amazing shell sort of tension uh, buildings that we have a lot of on on the Baltic Sea side. Yeah, and with you know so, okay some museums and some uh, food and uh, some cars and mm-hmm. whatever else people want to see. But there is just lots of material here. Yeah. That- Sometimes the locals don't realize that this might be interesting for anybody, and I just think, well, why not? So yeah, starting from um, theoretically, I mean, if anybody wanted to, I could show them around now, but I will officially sort of on on internet platforms and stuff for cruise passengers. Um, I will offer them from next year, from start of yeah. the season in May. Okay. That's well. The pitch.
2: <laughs> well, no, that's great. That's great. Um me flight already? No, I'd, if if I if I had the chance to come over, I'd, I'd be fascinated because you can tell that I'm interested in. Um, of
1: course, yeah.
2: In East Germany, so uh, to have a tour from uh, somebody with inside knowledge would be um, would be great.
1: Yeah. we have a Stasi Museum too.
2: Oh well, there you go. I'm it's it's close right bases. now. It's under,
1: it's under construction, but we do okay. have one. <laughs> well,
2: when it's open, let me know. Thank you, Anka. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. I hope you found that as interesting as I did. It was, again, great to hear from someone who'd actually been there. There's extra information in the show notes, including links to Anchor's tour company. The show notes can be found at coldwarconversations.com slash the word episode and the number 20. I'd also like to thank our latest patrons who are supporting the show with monthly financial contributions. These are Russell Phillips and the Escalation 85 War Game. Thank you very much for listening. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community Receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com donate for more information.